autistic people with quality of life and opportunity. You're listening to the Autism CRC podcast. This is the Autism at Work speaker series featuring pre-recorded audio captured during the live Autism at Work virtual summit event held in March 2023. Hear from over 40 local and international speakers, panelists and presenters, including neurodivergent employees and employers, as they discuss the important topics affecting autistic people at work. You can also watch this series on the Autism CRC YouTube channel. Hello again. I'm Wojciech Nadochowski, and welcome to our final session, a panel on supporting mental health in the workplace. Uh, our panel has expertise in supporting mental health, as well as implementing mental health programs at work. And we'll uh, hear about a new resource from the Olga Tennyson Autism Research Center at La Trobe University, specifically designed to support autistic employees. Our panel discussion will be moderated by Anne Simons, workplace facilitator and clinical psychologist at Black Dog Institute. We will try to answer as many questions as possible, but depending on how many come through, we may not be able to get through them all. All right, uh, that's it from me. Uh, I'll hand it over to Anne to take it from here. Thank you. And good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the final session of the Autism at Work Summit in which we're going to explore this very important topic of supporting mental health in the workplace. I'm Anne Simons, clinical psychologist in private practice and workplace facilitator at the Black Dog Institute. So I'm moderating the session in which we're going to be hearing from Dr. Simon Bury, who is a postdoctoral research fellow at La Trobe University, Dr. Susan Hayward, also a postdoctoral research fellow at La Trobe University, as well as offering a lived experience perspective, and Cindy Nicolette from Queensland, who is a psychologist currently working at Untapped uh, as an autism spectrum consultant. So I'd like to invite each of our panellists to further introduce themselves and tell us a bit about the work they're doing in this area. Cindy, would you like to introduce yourself first? Sure, thanks, Anne. Hi, I'm Cindy Nicolette. I'm based here in Brisbane in Queensland. I'm a registered psychologist um, and I'm, as Anne mentioned, an autism spectrum consultant with Untapped. Um, I've worked in the space of neurodiversity um, as a psychologist, a therapist in private practice. I've also worked in government and non-government organisations, so worked in this space for a number of years now. Fantastic. Thanks, Cindy, and we're delighted to have you with us this afternoon. Over to you, Susan. Hi, guys. Um, so I'm Susan. Um, you already know I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at OTAC at La Trobe Uni. So I just research stuff. Um, my research broadly concerns autistic people in the workplace. Uh, I have a particular interest in women, um, autistic women in the workplace. I also look at mental health, both inside and outside work. Thanks so much, Susan. And we really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us today. And Simon, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about the work you're doing? Well, my name's yeah, Simon. I'm a, a research fellow at the Olga Tennyson Autism Research Centre and also a clinical psychologist. My work currently is more focused on um, adult outcomes for uh, autistic people, 
including employment, mental health, and uh, more social identity type stuff. Um, but I have a new role currently and I'm focusing a bit more on mental health more broadly um, and factors that limit accessibility to uh, autistic people in receiving timely support. Okay, great. Thanks, Simon, and great to have you here with us. So to open up our exploration of this topic, I'd like to invite you, first of all, to share your thoughts and insights on what you consider to be some of the most common mental health issues experienced by neurodivergent individuals in the workplace. Susan, can we hear from your perspective, first of all? Yeah, I'm going to leave something for everybody else to talk about. So I'll just name a couple. Um, so burnout being number one, um, with which depression does share some similarities um, and anxiety. Those are my top two. Mm. Yes. Okay. Yep. Burnout. We're hearing a lot about that, aren't we? In the last few years, very, yeah, very significant issue. Thanks, Susan. And so, Simon, from your research, what would you add to this? Well, it's, there's two ways, I think, to look at this. First of all is um, mental health challenges that are already existing when they're entering the workplace, and that can cover the broad spectrum, but presenting challenges in the workplace can be along the lines of, as Susan suggested, depression, burnout, but anxiety would be a, um, a significant factor within the workspace. Um, but work can also be uh, a stressful place, and this, I think, is uh, especially so if you're trying to fit into an environment that doesn't really match the way you think and feel. So the workplace for autistic people can present, uh, I think, more stress. And we know from the research that um, stress, especially stress in the workplace, can be a downstream determinant of developing mental health challenges, um, especially around uh, anxiety um, and depression within the workplace. Mm, mm. Okay, thanks, Simon. Yeah, that's really interesting to, to hear about that. And it's making me think about the impact that these difficulties are having on individuals in the workplace. Cindy, I'm wondering if you could share with us some of your insights uh, regarding this, uh, the, the impact uh, from yeah, your experience as a therapist, people you've worked with. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess picking up on, on what Susan and Simon were saying, I think for me, the biggest thing that I see um, is that for a lot of people that I work with in the role I'm in now is that there's a lot of masking going on in the workplace. So this is trying to fit in and cope um, in an environment that can be really challenging for a number of reasons, trying to manage their mental health concerns that they may already have when they've commenced work. Um, and then, yeah, any other compounding variables that then just kind of exacerbate um, that. So increased stress because they're trying to fit in. They, they've got this opportunity to, to work, which may be the first opportunity in their adult life to work. And they, they, so desperately want it to work that they will mask the challenges around I'm getting overwhelmed I'm getting stressed um, and as Susan was saying you know a lot of the time that masking can lead to burnout can exacerbate some of those mental health conditions obviously impact their ability to be successful at work whatever success would look like for them um, and I think the other thing too is that for a lot of the adults I've worked with 
they really struggle with this. Do I tell my employer that I'm autistic? Do I tell my employer that I need accommodations? Because again, this is the first time I might've actually had a job in my adult life and I don't want to stuff this up. And if I tell them, is that going to jeopardize the opportunity for me to keep having this job or are people going to treat me differently because I've now said I'm autistic, I need some extra help in the workplace or supports in the workplace. Mm. Okay, thanks, Susan. Yes, it's... Can I just add to that? Sorry. (laughs) I got excited. Just just on the impact, like, I think it's also important to note that um, the impact of mental health issues, you know, particularly job-related burnout, um, can be stuff like substance use issues, meltdowns, shutdowns. Like, for example, some people, you know, when they get home from work, they can't do anything other than lie on the couch because they find it so exhausting. Some people might become mute, like they can't talk to their partner, can't talk to their kids. Um, And some people are incapable of even cooking themselves dinner when they get home from work because of uh, workplace stress. Um, I've actually... I'll mention it later as well, but um, I have a paper that actually details some of this this stuff where people actually um, comment on the impact of workplace stress on them. Mm. Thanks, Susan. So we're talking about often a a lot of distress and a real impact on people's functioning. And I think just back to what you were saying, Cindy, about the the masking and the enormous effort that goes with that, right? How exhausting it is for people, but also how isolating as well. So I think what you were uh, alluding to about um, issues around or fears around disclosing in the workplace is, is such an important thing for us to be aware of. Uh, and you know, raises issues around how we can think about destigmatizing mental health issues in the workplace too. Simon, yeah. would you like to add anything at this point? I was just going to say, this? and then it becomes a double whammy for if you're already disclosing for autism, mm-hmm. then um, uh, disclosing mental health on top of that becomes a, an additional challenge. And then who do you disclose to? How many people do you disclose to? Um, when do you, and if, if, um, upon doing that uh, if not what how does it limit the support you can get or the timeliness of support you get um can then add an additional stress and additional stress so that compounds the stress uh, already from being in the workplace um, and how will your privacy that. be protected but, once you have disclosed yeah. mm, what are the implications of it so it's a really huge decision for people to make right yeah with yes yeah significant yeah implications ramifications for them yeah and we see it what's well, more broad broadly across all mental health literature but we see it especially in the autism literature around the disclosure and this is also goes can go to expectations based on employer or past experiences with your employer of last time i disclosed it didn't go well why would i disclose now um so yeah, the large onus on um, educating employers and support workers within the workplace on how best to support autistic people and um, is it can go a long way into helping to reduce some of this additional stress or getting timely support when needed. Mm. And how can we make this process of disclosure a safe one for people? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So turning our focus a bit now 
to, uh, I guess, yeah, more the workplace side of things after talking about the, the individual side of things. When we consider how, I guess, the workplace can sometimes have a very positive impact on our well-being, the sense of social connection it can provide us, sense of purpose, etc. If we think about what are some of the uh, protective factors that are important for workplaces to harness. Uh, Simon, would you like to touch on these first of all? Well, I think what we've uh, uh, focused on already and what I'm going to, so I think, spruik a bit later on is uh, education. Um, I think educating the workplace on uh, autism specifically and how how best to support autistic people um and also how to develop workplaces that are more uh embrace more universal to design so the onus isn't always on the autistic person to try and fit into workplaces that may not um match their way of thinking or being um other important factors along with a lot of uh psychological um support is having support people within the workplace, be that a supportive colleague or a support worker or a supportive um, uh, boss, someone that you can confide in within the workplace or someone that can um, be that uh, person to lean on uh, when needed is shown to be a, uh, an important uh, protective factor, um, both within and without, without the work, uh, outside of a workplace. Mm, mm. So knowing someone's got you back in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Cindy, would you like to add anything to the to this around protective factors? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So I think, um, as Simon was saying, you know, definitely the education side of things, but targeting the education at the right level, um, and I think getting certainly higher management on board to see the importance of kind of funneling down through the layers. Um, so, and I guess that means for us to be able to get in there and do the education upper management can see the importance of that kind of shared understanding because um, I think often it can be the case that it needs to be the autistic employee that needs to change their behavior to fit into the workplace but it's getting them to understand that no it needs to be a shared um, exchange or a shared changing of some of our or adjustments um, in the workplace or whether it's around workload, whether it's around communication in the workplace, um, whether it's around the environmental space in the workplace and how that caters for everybody. Um, you know, we often say that sometimes making those adjustments not only um, helps the neurodiverse employee, but also helps others in the space. Um, so I think it's really emphasizing the importance that it needs to be both parties that are on board with this and not just again, the focus needing to be on the autistic or the neurodiverse employee that needs to change their behaviour and, and understand the protocols in the workplace and, and the unwritten rules in the workplace. Mm. Mm. So you're really emphasising the importance of strong leadership around this, Cindy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in my role at Untapped, we've certainly got within our programs, um, our neurodiversity programs in a number of organisations, you know, a real buy-in from upper management and seeing the importance of this and, and you know, certainly um, encouraging that staff, upper management team leaders, whoever it might be, um, are participating in that and really enhancing their knowledge so that then when they have team members that are neurodiverse, they, they can understand better and, and 
um, provide them with whatever support they might need so that they're successful. So it's not as much of a foreign landscape. Um, there's certainly challenges there, but if there's that understanding on both sides and some of those obstacles can be managed much, much better. Mm. Thanks, Cindy, you for really identifying some of those things that are really helpful and effective for us to be mindful of. Susan, I'd like to come over to you now and hear a little bit about how you prioritise your own self-care and mental health while at work. Um, so, yeah, me personally, I guess I've kind of, I've, I've learned that no one's actually going to look out for my well-being other than myself. So one of the biggest things that so I do currently, like in my role, um, is around setting boundaries and being able to say no. Um, because I'm asked to do a lot of extra things that are not part of my core role. So like not what I'm actually paid for and I don't really have time to do anyway. So um, having those boundaries um, really, really helps me. Um, and the, the other, probably the, one of the biggest things, um, I'm a bit of an exercise addict, um, as Simon can probably vouch for me because he's we're friends we're on Garmin and you can see all the stuff that I'm doing. <laughs> um so yeah really <laughs> yeah it helps me to regulate myself um so like in my previous job like I'd just take an extended lunch break you know for an hour and a half in the middle of the day and just go for a long run um so yeah uh and the other thing as well um I've got a few trusted colleagues that I just went to when needed um yeah, and I've also got a lot of autonomy and flexibility in my role, so I can adjust things to suit myself. Mm, thanks for sharing those, Susan. Um, they sound like really, really helpful things and, you know, things I'm sure, um, you know, many of us could benefit from implementing to support and maintain our well-being. So I guess one uh avenue through which we can really improve the experiences of neurodivergent individuals in the workplace is to develop initiatives directed at building the capacity of autism spectrum consultants. So let's hear about one such initiative now. Simon, can you tell us about the mental health training and resource kit you and your colleagues have developed uh, that offers a great practical training for upskilling consultants? I sure can. I can share my screen too. Can you everyone see my screen before I get too far? Okay, so yes, um, we've talked now about the supporting a neurodiverse workforce and mental health and wellbeing resource and training package, which is a very long title um, for the product we, we've developed at OTARC. Um, but I'll just provide a bit of background first, if you can indulge me with that. So employment and mental health. Um, You've probably noticed from attending two days at a conference, but autistic people are significantly underrepresented in employment in Australia and worldwide. And um, this is in comparison both to people with no disabilities and other disability groups. And we also know that autistic people with higher rates of co-occurring mental health conditions. And what I've got here is uh, the 12 month data from a, sp a specific study, Hollocks at all. And, data from the ABS Australian Bureau of Statistics just to give a, a dirty estimate between the two um, of the sort of differences we can see in, in diagnostic rates. This means autistic people, in addition to trying to fit into a world that's not made up for them, 
um, have additional barriers that can present challenges within the workplace. The barriers more broadly to the workplace for autistic people are generally centered around um, autism symptomology, autistic traits with a large focus on social communication uh, and interaction and around restricted and repetitive behaviors. And we know that these sorts of challenges impact at each stage of employment, um, including job interviews and recruitment, which use methods that um, present uh, additional barriers or are restrictive to autistic people in finding jobs and continues on to challenges within the workplace, both in interactions with others and um, job task and role assignment. So we know of initiatives, and I'm going to use DXE technology as a case study here that um, work to addressing some of these challenges and supporting autistic people in the workplace. So the DXE technology dandelion program works uh, in the IC, IC in, uh, information technology area. Um, it's a three-year program and they do a lot to address autism specific challenges. So they have alternate recruitment um, strategies, which include paid uh, a session to um, show your skills rather than relying solely on the interview. And they provide job support coaching and staff training within the workplace. And because of the work they've done, they have a high success rate within this program um, supporting autistic people. So we see that overall in the study we've done on the um, cost-benefit analysis of the program, we see that 62.5% of the participants or the employees in the program completed the program, but 25% of those who left the program transitioned early to alternative um, competitive employment, which is also a bit of a success of a program because part of the program is developing self-advocacy skills and job work skills. And from our cost-benefit analysis, it, the program itself presents significant savings to the government through reduced reliance on uh, welfare, but it most importantly, saw a great um, benefit to autistic people through increased wages and access to the labour market. However, from our research in the program and from uh, talk, talks with people within the program, we see that the employees report benefits, such great benefits such as a sense of purpose and financial independence and um, the access to more social relationships that they find really uh, worthwhile and beneficial. But in our study, we see there's no changes in mental health and well-being overall. Normally when people start a job, we see a bit of a honeymoon phase where well-being improves. Um, we did not see this. But also talking with the autism spectrum consultants and people within the program, we see that mental health challenges um, provide an additional factor that is uh, present challenges in supporting autistic people in the workplace. And uh, importantly, the sustainability of the program, so keeping people within the program and into long-term employment. But most alarmingly, staff within the program identify that current tools and training to support mental health of autistic people uh, were either unavailable or insufficient. Um, and that added an additional barrier to supporting people within the workplace. So this led to DXE technology um, was in a collaboration with ANZ Bank, getting OTARC and myself to develop the, and Susan, the Supporting a Neurodiverse Workforce and Mental Health and Wellbeing Training Resource Package. And Untapped Holdings has taken this further, so it's now also available as um, 
training for organizations uh, presented by the autism spectrum consultants and we also have an online course which i'll give a bit of a demo to just show a bit about what we've done but the training itself consists of 11 modules and these modules were developed with the support of autistic authors as well as consultancy uh, with autistic people as well as other stakeholders um, from business and from support services um, this uh, has led to changes throughout the package and focus on it, such as creating new autism-friendly work environment as greater focus put on this and workplace bullying and culture. And I tend to be verbose when writing, um, and so there's a lot of feedback on me being more succinct and user-friendly, so it's a lot more uh, user-friendly uh, with that feedback. So this is the online website. So the idea of the course was to build on... Um, uh, initiatives in the workplace like uh, mental health first aid to provide training to the organization but with a focus in this one of uh, specific information for uh, supervisors and managers colleagues as well as autistic staff themselves um, and it's set up how We've got the go through we've got different areas so we've got and then what is well-being we also talk about briefly what it doesn't mean to be on the autism spectrum and talk more broadly about factors associated with uh, autism that may present uh, barriers when accessing the workplace. We spend a lot of time um, talking about the idea of creating autism-friendly work environments and focusing on workplace culture and changing workplace policies and procedures to be more um, accessible and less discriminatory to autistic people. And then we work, focus on mental health. And in the mental health space, we do stress, anxiety, depression, sleep and well-being, non-suicidal self-injury, and suicide and suicidal ideation. Unlike other workplace mental health training, you might have guessed from what I mentioned earlier that I consider stress to be a really important factor because it allows us to intervene early um, when supporting people within the workplace before things can get get out of control and uh, lead to greater challenges. So first we start on, on managing stress within the workplace. And how we've designed the training itself is first we talk about what is stress more broadly, what it might look like, or for each of the modules, what it, what it might look like, how it might impact everyone um, that include autistic people. And then we provide or specific information about what stress and autism might look like within the workplace and how best to support autistic people in the workplace. Um, so if we look at what is stress, so we do workplace common factors that lead to stress, um, with factors on how to identify stress with videos with me talking. Um, stress in the body. Can you hear People that? are not always aware they are experiencing stress. Sometimes pressures in their life can build up in stages and go unnoticed. For some people, noticing the signs of stress in the body is difficult, which is especially true for people on the autism spectrum. Not noticing these signs of stress can make it difficult to combat stress. Yeah, so we have videos throughout. We also have information like what is stress? How is it experienced? What does it look like? How to identify and how you feel, behave and act, as well as what it might look like in others. So if you can support colleagues experiencing stress, then we have things to test, test your knowledge as we go through. We have a great focus on indiv individual stresses within the workplace. 
and what factors might impact on stress or and what the impact can be on the workplace and the organisation to get more buy-in from the organisation of a need to support areas of mental health such as uh, stress. And as I mentioned, then we focus on uh, uh, autism-specific factors uh, with more videos. Autism pressures and stresses. People on the autism spectrum experience the same pressures described earlier, but they may also experience additional pressures related to autism. For many people on the autism spectrum, the world can be an unpredictable and stressful place. The need for people on the autism spectrum to adapt to environments that do not match their way of thinking and being can also be a great source of stress. Things employees who are not on the autism spectrum might not notice or think about, like traveling to work on public transport or managing the noise of traffic or crowded spaces can be highly stressful for employees on the autism spectrum. For many, they have experienced many stresses before the workday even commences. Thus, some employees on the autism spectrum may be at heightened levels of stress before starting work just from navigating the world. And we have more specific ways to recognise stress in autistic people, including videos. And then we have lived experiences. Um, I will not share that at request of the participant. Um, and then we move to stress management strategies. And again, this is uh, set up the same similar way that we first provide more broader factors that support um, stress or other mental health factors uh, within the workplace to make this beneficial to everyone that does the training, but also those strategies can also be supportive of autistic people. And then we have specific strategies for each of the stakeholder groups. Um, so we have specific uh, handouts. My internet is very slow currently, I think, because I've got the video going. Um, for employers, and we have similar ones for colleagues and uh, autistic employees themselves. And the way this is structured comes back from the consultancy, with uh, especially with the autistic um, consultants who wanted to make sure that they could see all the information that was presented to everyone doing the course. So throughout, we have a different uh, stra strategies and stuff, including uh, embarrassing videos of myself. If you ever feel the need to um, have a laugh at myself um, doing some deep breathing exercises. Uh, with quality acting, what a picture to land on. Um, so yeah, overall we have the mental health strategies and then we have uh, more information about providing and seeking support both. We uh, often find autistic people are very empathetic and also want to know how best to support other people within the workplace, including their colleagues. Um, and then we have uh, information about supporting well-being specifically with the return of work and the policies that are important in recognizing that sometimes even having training and uh, strategies put in place to manage mental health within the workplace sometimes people do need to take time off and how best to do that inclusively so that they feel supported even when they're having time off and how can we bring them back to the workplace in the um, least stressful way <clears throat> part of doing a course you get a certificate and then we also have all the uh, resources throughout the, um, the training um, and then a bibliography if you want to do further reading. And so that is uh, the course uh, more broadly. Um, if you want to find more information about the course, uh, you can visit this website. It's a neurodiversityhub.org forward slash mental health. 
you can email have help email the untapped uh, people at uh, mht at untapped slash talent.com or if it's easier just you can look search Simon Bury or send me an email and I'll put you uh, onto the people that know what's going on. Um, thank you. Thanks so much Simon. What a comprehensive training package it is. I really love the way it's uh, those training modules are divided up. It gives us a real insight to uh, the I guess yeah the variety of essential uh, things that uh, the consultants need to be across. And I heard your emphasis there on supporting supporting recovery and um, intervening early, the importance of that. And it seems like this is a great toolkit to support that whole process. Yeah, there's generally three levels of providing support. And that's the initial is education and prevention. The other is getting in early and supporting people. And then it's supporting people when they are in, in greater crisis. And so we've got aspects of that throughout throughout the training uh, mm. to ensure okay. we're providing, uh, attacking at each level's uh, providing support. Fantastic. And I've also really liked the way those additional stresses seem to be really clearly articulated too in the training. I think that will be, yeah, very helpful thing. So Cindy, as a consultant who has undertaken this training, can you tell us a bit about what you regard the, the positive features of the training to be and how you envisage it being useful? Yeah, sure. So I guess it's, you know, the primary thing being addressing that need to have that autism specific content. So addressing mental health concerns uh, for autistic individuals um, and as Simon was showing through it it's quite easy to navigate so obviously you can navigate through the the different areas um, and you've obviously got different ways of I get I guess getting the information so you've got video content um, you've got activities and then obviously written um, information and yeah so then it's it's kind of delivered through a few different modalities um, and I guess as well the other positive feature that it's actually um, as Simon was saying, kind of looking at those three areas. So um, that initial kind of support, the support throughout, and then not neglecting that if someone does need to take time out, how can we support them to come back to work um, again? Because I think that's a piece that often gets missed. I think with even just general uh, population, um, if people need to take time out for, for illness or mental illness, physical illness, there's not often a really good mechanism to how do we support them while they're taking time out and then how do we support them to come back um, into the workplace and so I think it's really good that we've really um, we've got an element of that in the package um, that the the fact that we've got a bunch of different resources as well so additional reading lists and other resources again so that people who do the training have got some stuff there that they can then use with with their staff um, sort of post the training as well um, I think which is really helpful um, and again I think it's just bringing attention to the fact that mental health as it is being such a topical thing being discussed within workplaces in general just really emphasizing that it needs to be something that we're thinking about for our autistic neurodiverse um, employees that it's something we also need to be thinking about and while there might be some stuff there obviously having something that's more tailor-made to to the group um, is is much more beneficial and so making sure that that training gets delivered to the people that need to know so that they've got that that information there that's more targeted 
Fantastic. Thanks, Cindy, for sharing all of those insights. Lots of positives there and um, potential benefits. And I think what you were saying about that support if people do take time off, that that's that sometimes, yeah, where people can slip through the gaps a bit, that does feel really critical. I think typically there's maybe some support offered initially, but very quickly that kind of drops away when the person is no longer present in the workplace. So yeah, it sounds like a really user-friendly package from from your experience, Cindy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Fantastic. Okay. So returning to this notion then of well-being in the workplace, Susan, based on your research findings, what recommendations have you got for employers or organisations looking to improve workplace well-being? I think we touched on a lot uh, when we were talking about protective factors. So, you know, sort of access to uh, workplace adjustments and things like that. Um, so aside from that and allowing people some downtime at work, um, yeah, I, I, my research doesn't show, but um, it does point towards that training package that Simon mentioned, like everything is sort of included in there. So I think that's definitely worth a try um, and save your money on EAP because that's not very useful anyway. Um, yeah, but from my research, like recognizing poor wellbeing in yourself, um, like as an autistic person is, can be quite challenging. Um, so um, again, that resource is designed to help with that. Um, as well as, you know, uh, having sort of an external sounding board as well. So engagement with like a psychologist regularly um, can also assist. Um, and again, I'm saying EA, not saying EAP because um, it's not very useful for people. Um, what people have noted, said um, has been useful for them um, in terms of uh, helping them with their well-being at work is um, access to a good supervisor. So supervisor seems to play a real, like a key role um, in supporting well-being at work. Mm. Thanks, Susan. So organisations really knowing where to point people to uh, for, for support outside of EAP, I hear you saying. Um, but, yeah, perhaps a range of different um, resources and, and services, but having knowledge of those is, is really important. And I also heard you emphasise the importance of flexibility there on, on the side of the organisation, that that's such... Yes, yeah, such a critical way that we can support people, right, with that flexibility. Mm. Yeah, yep. and not just people on the autism spectrum, sorry, Simon, <laughs> but like that flexibility, allowing flexibility supports everybody. Um, yes. And my research shows, and other people's research, not just mine, shows that like it, it benefits everybody, not just people on the spectrum, but it is more important for people on the spectrum. Go, Simon. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I was so going to, can... yeah, sorry, one other joint to empl employment assistant programs for those who may not know what EAPs are. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah that's, but I think run into a similar problems that we often see in getting support for autistic people in general mental health practice where there's a lot of a, uh, 
general support, psychological support or mental health support don't themselves have a good understanding of autism and how to support autism. So going to these programs that also often have limited access, so you can only, normally it's around four or five visits, provide limited benefit. And I think from, a, I'm going to quote some of your research, Susan, is that understanding individual because uh, autistic people within the workplace, sometimes the types and timing of support may be different than the general population. So for managers to get to know their staff members and have a good understanding of where, when they may need support and uh, how best to provide that, it's important. Mm, yes. Thanks, Simon. So maybe now we will consider some questions from our audience. And on that topic of support, our first question we have is, what supports can workplaces provide to autistics who experience fluctuating anxiety and energy levels? Often we have used any available sick leave and feel forced to work or we fear negative ramifications if we don't come to work. Cindy, what would you be recommending here? I'm seeing Susan nodding her head a lot. So yes, I'm actually. I might actually get Susan to start Susan, this, a response. <laughs> this is resonating with you. Oh, did that say say it all? <laughs> um, can you repeat the question again for me? Yeah, sure. It is quite a lengthy question. So perhaps well, can we you could put it in the chat so it's in writing. Yeah. What supports can workplaces provide to autistics who experience fluctuating anxiety and energy levels? Organisations can, again, it comes back to that whole flexibility, like a flexible working model. So, for example, um, if it's possible that you can do your job from home, and I think COVID taught us a lot, that a lot of people's jobs can actually be undertaken at home. You don't need to come in. Um, so offering that um, would be awesome because then people can work around their own schedules. So if they do experience those fluctuations, they can work when they feel they're most productive um, and have downtime, you know, to do something else when they're not. So uh, I think that that flexibility or a flexible working model is real is key. Um, and even being able to work from home or some other location, not necessarily in you know, at the um, work site would also be great because, you know, um, you can control your environment then. Um, so not just the physical environment, but the level of interaction that you have with other people too. So mm, great. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. There are lots of other little things, but that's the biggest thing, I think. That just sounds like such a sensible, practical solution, right? And uh, it deals with this issue. The other issue that's raised in that question about people using up sick leave um, and, you know, fearing ramifications if they don't physically come into work. So, yeah, you've offered a great solution for that. Thanks, Susan. I'll move on to another question now from the audience. We've got, uh, yes, we've talked about EAP services. Uh, I think I'll put this one to you, um, Cindy, because it's back to this topic of masking that we were touching on earlier. Do you find differences with regards to masking rates across different types of workplaces 
all the levels of supports provided. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's even been research mm. um, done definitively. I would have it a guess, and just this is just going purely off my own interactions, that where there's a higher kind of load of needing to interact with people that masking is probably strongest um, and as Susan was saying you know if the person is working in their home environment where they can manage a lot of variables that otherwise are really challenging to manage in, a, in an office space um, probably that need to to mask um, to fit in is less likely if, if not at all. Mm. So I would imagine those jobs that are the more higher demand in terms of those interactions needing to take place is probably when you're going to see um, more masking. I think as well that you tend to see more women than men mask. I'm not saying that it's exclusively that way, but I can certainly think of occasions with women I've worked with where um, it seemed to be something that they would bring up in discussion with me that, you know, I've got a job where I have to talk to a lot of people. And so I kind of mask all day in order to just get through the day um, and then get, as Susan was saying at the beginning, get home and they're completely exhausted. Um, they just can't do any of the stuff they kind of need to do or would like to do when they get home because they need to just recuperate from just that overload of trying to cope through the day. So much energy going into that yeah. mask. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I think workplace culture can play a key role too mm. in when people need to, any amount that they need to mask uh, more supportive, autistic-friendly environments that maybe have a, a, a more open approach to supporting autistic people and the needs of autistic people mm. might might play a role in how much people need to mask within the workplace. Mm. Yes, for sure. And, and Simon, related uh, to that is back again to this issue of disclosure. We've got another question here regarding that. How would you approach disclosing your autism to a new employer? Should you disclose straight away or wait until you can trust your manager first? What would be some of your advice you could offer regarding this? Uh, this is a, a minefield topic. Um, we're currently doing research on actually this year on the timing of um, disclosure, but it really just it comes down to a lot of different factors around what you know of your organisation so far and um, if they uh, advertise as neurodiverse, do they have history? Can you see history of that within the culture can, um, of, a, of a place can impact how willing you are to disclose? Um, there is research to show that people who do disclose often uh, have better outcomes in the workplace more broadly, but that doesn't speak to what the cost might be in terms of some people do disclose and get um, shunned or get uh, reduced workloads or get. Um, so the research looking at the long-term benefits say it is a benefit, but doesn't doesn't speak to what that workplace might be like. So I know my answer, I talked a lot there and didn't really give a real answer to. Oh, no, um, I think it was really helpful, <laughs> Simon. I mean, well, yeah, what you're alluding to there, I think, yeah, uh, finding out information first about the workplace is pretty important to guide, yeah, what those perceived implications might be of, of disclosure because we can't yeah. predict exactly how it will be received, um, whether the person will receive a positive response so building up a supportive response rather so building up that trust actually does sound important yeah. 
But we do often find also that people end up disclosing when things get especially bad um, and that has additional problems because then it's harder to, um, oh, we talk, it's hard to manage smaller problems and larger mountains. Uh, so that's when it could be, uh, become more difficult. So it's, it's a mindful, there's no clear answer. Um, yes. It becomes, yeah, getting to feel a sense of safety of people, but that can also be difficult for autistic people who may not, the double empathy problem, knowing when people might be supportive or when they are showing uh, signs of support. Yes, okay. And I think we've possibly got time for just one or two more questions, but I'll, I'll pick this one out um, again for you, Simon, because I think it's uh, a really important one about how people can access the training. Are there plans to roll out schemes such as the DCX Technology Dandelion Program across other industries? If businesses have an interest in setting up similar programs on their own, where can they go for more information assistance? Um, I don't actually know. That might be good to... Um, give to uh, uh, people like Untapped or, uh, to know okay. what's happening we in the actually, industry. But, sorry, I did have one suggestion come through here, which yeah. is the Neurodiversity Hub. So, yeah, um, yeah I was going to discuss that. That's associated with Untapped. So that has a lot of information and resources. Um, just as another cheeky plug, if organisations want to uh, a free... Uh, we're currently doing so. Uh, uh, we've got a linkage grant with DXE Technology and um, Autism Spectrum Australia, and we're rolling out the mental health and autism training in workplaces, as well as some uh, job crafting strategies to try and create better job fit with uh, between the individual and their workplace. So, if you are an employer and you want to get some free um, uh, training within your workplace, or you're interested in supporting autistic people more broadly, um, give me or Susan an email and we can get you in touch with uh, that study as it goes forward. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, Simon. So look, we are coming to the close of our session. I think yeah, we've explored some of the, the fundamental issues relating to supporting mental health in the workplace. And I'm, I want to acknowledge many of the strategies, practices and support mechanisms we've talked about can really play a significant role in creating more mentally healthy workplaces for all. Uh, wondering if there's any takeaway uh, message you'd like to get out there, Susan? Um, yeah, it's hard to nail it down. Um, <laughs> try the package. <laughs> Bit of a plug for the package, but yeah, try yeah, the package. Right. I think that's it's a useful resource. Cindy, your takeaway? Yeah, I think it's just being really mindful that it's not about the neurodiverse autistic person that needs to change, but it needs to be both parties that need to kind of look at what they're doing and how to meet each other in the middle um, and develop that shared understanding of one another. Mutual responsibility and shared understanding. And Simon, one last thing from you? I would just be around empathy. <laughs> Yeah. Being empathetic to people within the workplace and for yourself um, within the workplace, give yourself a bit of a break. Um, mental health is not just the low ebbs of mental health, it's also positive well-being. So any positive step to giving yourself a, a little pat on the back would be good, I think. 
Hmm. Thanks, Simon. And thanks to our audience for being present today. Hope you've got many useful takeaways from the session and a big thanks to our panel, Susan, Cindy and Simon for sharing your expertise. Yes, thank you very much, guys. And thank you, Anne, for, for moderating that session um, and some great takeaways there. Thank you. Um, so as a reminder, all of our sessions have been recorded and you can find all of the recordings by clicking on the schedule menu and choosing on demand. Pretty much all of the sessions up to date are, are up there. There's already 15 that are available and they will be up for the next 60 days. Um, that pretty much is bringing us to the end of the session um, and to the end of the two-day summit. Uh, as we come to the end of the second day, I'll hand you over to our hosts, uh, Michael Fieldhouse and Andrew Davis, to give us their closing remarks. So, uh, Michael, I'll let you go first, and then uh, if you could hand over to Andrew Davis. Thank you, Warchek, and um, thank you, everyone, for being part of this um, this great summit. Uh, I still can't believe it's um, our fifth summit. Um, Again, um, I'm, I'm kind of going to keep it wrapping up and keeping it short. Um, I'd like to thank um, all our panelists, speakers, keynotes, um, the participants, um, even the people behind the scenes, which are, you know, we they, we see them doing doing hard work, just going around a bit like duck uh, duck under um, underneath the water. So it's um, they've been doing a great job doing all the technical work behind the scenes. And thank you. Um, and I think that's a, a great, um, it's been a great, um, I'd like to call out a great summit. And I'd like to call out um, Ryan Kelly for being our host. Um, and thank you for guiding us and steering us through the last quarter two days, which has been fantastic. As I said, to, as Warchek just said, um, we're really looking forward to, um, you know, to, I'm looking forward to playing back some of the sessions and um, over the next 60 days. So please, um, um, you know, feel free you know, and um, engage and share the content. It's fantastic. Um, also like to, you know, if, you know, if you leave one, one, if you're going to leave you one thing is just take a step and, um, and get involved in, you know, autism employment, neurodiversity, just take the step. Uh, that's all I can ask is, you know, and then I think that's just will make the, the make the impact bigger and bigger. And that's what we hope um, that we can in, uh, make a, a great impact to um, people's lives and, um, and actually just, um, and also um, in, um, in making jobs and environments more inclusive. And I again, like to thank, um, you know, um, the Autism CRC for all their work and um, also the uh, special call out again to the working group and Andrew, Eddie and Wojciech for their, all their hard work behind the scenes. Um, I'll, I'll hand over to Andrew now um, again and I look, look forward to seeing us, seeing all of us at the next summit. Thank you. Thanks Michael and thanks to all of you as Michael said for joining us over the last couple of days. Um, it's clear from looking at the traffic you've been a really engaged audience sharing your experiences and offering up thoughtful questions in all 16 of the sessions. Listening to our more than 40 local and international speakers has been uh, a humbling, inspiring and always thought-provoking experience. Thanks to everyone who's provided their expertise and their experiences to make this such a great event, as Michael said. Uh, like Michael, I'd like to especially thank our host, Orion Kelly, the MC's MC, 
Uh, Orion has provided his own insightful perspective to session topics and facilitated so many of the great discussions that we've had over the past two days. There have been too many highlights uh, to mention, but a special thanks to all of our keynote speakers, to Tom Derry, CEO of Rising Tide Car Wash, who shared how his team has uh, quote unquote, reframed how leaders think to build a business that operates across America, employing a predominantly neurodiverse workforce. To Jess Caden and her honest and personal insights into how she went from struggling through uni, as she said, and burning out in her first job, to where she is now, a HR executive and a leader in her field. Rajesh Anandan and Nicole Redizable from Ultranauts, who demonstrated how inclusion must be addressed both at the team level and at the executive level. In fact, Orion Kelly uh, remarked that Nicole's talk on inclusion was the best he'd ever heard. And Vanessa Costander-Gill and Lucy Stevens from Social Cipher and the neurodivergent gaming heroine, Ava, and how Vanessa built the capacity of her business as a neurodivergent CEO. Feedback across the numerous panels from those tuning in has been very positive. As one attendee put it, as an autistic uni student, this gives me such hope for the future world for neurodivergent individuals. Of course, as Michael says, an event like this doesn't stand up and operate all on its own. There's been a huge amount of effort, coordination, and of course, support from a lot of people. It means a lot. A huge thanks to our sponsors. Um, we all might have a vision of these um, events, but uh, without our sponsors, that vision's not much more than delusion. So thank you so much to DXC, GHD Engineering, La Trobe University, Untapped, ANZ, and SAP. Also, thanks to our session sponsors in AIG and the Sunport Group, and to those of you who have made donations, thank you also. To the organising committee, and Michael's mentioned a couple, Andrew Edding, Michael Fieldhouse himself, Nigel Phillips, Leslie Richardson-Winfer, and Wojciech Nedohovsky. Thank you all for a lot of long days, sleepless nights, and your skills in bringing this together with so many amazing speakers. Behind the scenes, thanks to the support of Kamal Hunjan and the Autism CRC Marcom's team. And as a final thought, I'd like to just go back to some a couple of comments from the morning of day one. In his keynote, Tom Derry mentioned that developers know to focus on extreme users. And in the same vein, Ashley McKay in the HR panel session talked about designing to your edge cases. This correlates to universal design principles, um, universal design that Simon Bury mentioned in the last session on mental health. And we've been applying this in our work and we've heard it in many stories across this summer. If we, and what universal design teaches us is if we build employment practices and environments that provide opportunity for neurodivergent employees to build and deploy their capabilities to the fullest, we will have practices and environments that provide opportunity for all employees to build and deploy their capabilities. And to achieve this, I again reflect on the comments from Orion Kelly and Tom Derry, imposing a call to action for all of us. It's not just about changing systems, practices and so forth. We collectively need to change the way we think. And in particular, 
change the way leaders lead. As participants in the summit, you can help drive that change. Thank you again. Hope you've enjoyed it and best wishes to all for each of your journeys. The 2023 Autism at Work Virtual Summit was proudly sponsored by DXC Technologies, GHD Engineering, La Trobe University, Untapped Group, ANZ and SAP. Autism CRC is the independent national source of evidence for best practice. For more information on Autism CRC or the Autism at Work Virtual Summit, head to our website autismcrc.com.au.